Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumble.org. you got a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. So if you get to Matthew, just go back one and you'll see Malachi. Malachi chapter one. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. The words will be up there on the screen in back of me. I'm afraid that many of us come into a Sunday morning just kind of going through the motions, right? We, um, we have all kinds of thoughts in our heads. If we were to see the thought bubbles going on right now, I mean, I wonder what they would be like, right? Some of you are just tired, man. I am tired. I am, I am exhausted. So much has gone on this past week. Some of you, maybe you're thinking about all the things that are coming up today and, and the preparations and maybe where you're going out to eat. Uh, some of you in this room, man, you're just glad you're here. Your health, um, lots of burdens you're carrying with you today. And there are some of us here in this room, we're just coming in today just kind of, uh, kind of bored. You know, like this is the, this is the time where we're going to check out, watch our clock, you know, our cell phone, and uh, hopefully we'll be out of here soon. A lot of things going on in our minds, right? Like, what's he doing here? That's one of the things that came into my mind today. A great friend of mine is here, uh, him and his wife. Uh, we worked together 20 years ago at a camp, and so lots of things in our minds as we come into worship. But I wonder if some of us kind of come to this Sunday morning with a sense of, you know, as long as I'm here... You know, God's probably up there in heaven thinking, hey, he's here, I'll take what I can get. You know, even though he's going through the motions, I'm, I'm glad he's just here. You know, and, and we, we, we lose touch of who he is and how great he is and how he deserves to be worshipped with, with all of who we are. You know, we come sometimes just giving him just a little, kind of some of our leftovers Reasoning to ourselves, as long as we give him something, that's better than nothing, right? It reminds me of the story, true story, about a woman and her frozen turkey. So the Butterball Turkey Company set up a telephone hotline to answer consumer questions about how to prepare your holiday turkey. And so one woman, she called in to inquire about cooking a turkey that had been in her freezer for 23 years. Can you imagine? The representative told her that the turkey would be safe to eat, but didn't recommend eating it because the flavor by now would have deteriorated. To which the caller replied, well, that's, that's kind of what I thought. Okay, we'll probably just give it to our church then. <laughs> yeah. We laugh, but uh, that is, that is kind of what the people in Malachi's day were doing. Right? They weren't giving God their best. They were giving God what they had left. And sadly, we're no different and I believe that many of us here today are serving a holy God, just our leftovers, what we have left. And God's saying, stop, don't you know who I am? Have you forgotten who I am? Stop giving me your leftovers. So with that in mind, let's take a look at Malachi chapter 1. I want to read verses 6 to 14. This is the word of God. And I, and I say that today 
just to remind you, this is, this is not my word. This is the word of God. And so let's take this in. Let's take this in this morning. Verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, said the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would just shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place incense will be offered to my name in a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted, and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering? Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations." So let me give you somewhat of the backstory uh, leading up to these verses, especially if you weren't here with us this past week. And so God's people have been in exile for 70 years. They are now returning, and they're hoping that things will be better for them. And yet they're still suffering. They're still struggling politically, culturally, in their families. And they think, can't we get back to the glory days? God, you made all those promises to us. They're, they're not being fulfilled. And so they, they begin to doubt God's love for them, and they begin to drift away from God. And now some, even the, the, the religious leaders of their day, are actually despising God's name. If you remember, this book reads kind of like a conversation between God and his people. And so God initiates, he starts the conversation, typically with an accusation against his people, the people then respond by, by questioning what God has said, and then God comes back and answers their objections. That's, that's the format all throughout this book. And re, I've got to remind you that they're, they're, the main audience that God is speaking to right here is the priests, the spiritual leaders of God's people. And so as I'm reading through this this week, that's a wake-up call for me. I mean, that got my attention. He's speaking first and foremost to leaders and then to all of us. This applies to all of us. And so let's begin with God's statement that he makes. He, he starts by saying, you haven't honored me. You've despised my name. Look at verse 6 again with me. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? 
And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priest, who despise my name? And so he, he begins by alluding to these, these earthly examples of a son who is expected to honor his father. Right? Even more so back then, culturally, they knew that that was the expectation. It was the commandment from God, right? The fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. That still stands today, by the way. And so the son, the, the daughter, was to, to live in a way that held the dad in high honor. And then he alludes to the master and the servant relationship. To contextualize, that would be like an employee to an employer today. We're to show respect for those who are over us in authority. And so God says, you know that that's the truth on a human level. How much more so on a divine level? He says, I am your father in heaven. Where is my honor? That's, that's kind of the question over all of this passage here. Where is my honor, God says? You're despising me. I am your Father in heaven. I deserve all glory and honor and praise. Where is my honor? I think of, um, as a dad, I've got four kids, and there are times where it is tough, right? Your kids will disobey you. They are sinful just like you are, and so they will fall into sin. And we as dads are called to restore our children uh, gently, firmly, firmly, lovingly, and sometimes we got to remind them, hey, you're getting a little too big for your britches. I'm, I'm your father. Do you remember that? I'm your dad. You're to honor me as your dad. And it's out of affection that we lovingly restore them and correct them. And God is doing the same right here. I think this is spoken in, in love. He's saying, I'm your, I'm your father. I have affection for you. But I'm also your master. I have authority over you. Where is my honor? What he deserves is our honor, our reverential awe and respect. And so listen, if God were looking at your life today, would he say, you're living a life honoring to me? Would he say that about your life? So that's where he begins, this statement, you haven't honored me, you've despised my name. God's people come back questioning that accusation in verse 6. It says, but you say, how have we despised your name? And kind of the tone that I picture this is, is kind of in this, this mocking, like kind of this, how so, God? <laughs> We've despised your name, how? And before we see God's answer to that question, let's think about what it means to despise the name of God. To disrespect his name, to disregard his name, to belittle his name to diminish the value of his name. What is his name? His name represents who he is. This is his identity. This is his character. This, this is his reputation. His name matters. I mean, all throughout the Bible, we see in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 20, one of the commandments, third commandment says this, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. A lot of times we think, well, that, I'm, I'm good with that one because I never curse. I, I'm never swearing. That is not the implication necessarily for this text. It means that oftentimes we're prone to treat God's name just flippantly. 
just kind of throw it around, sometimes even to use his name to our advantage. I've talked with, with couples and counseled with many here in our community where sometimes the answer to sin might be, well, God, God wants me to be happy, right? God wants you to honor him and obey him. And in doing so, you will find joy that is much deeper than any happiness you're finding in your sin. So sometimes we, we use God or manipulate God to get what we really want. We, we don't take his name seriously. And fast forward to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 6, we see the Lord's Prayer. We're all familiar with this ever since we were young. Many of us grew up with this. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, a lot of times that's just rote memory for us, so we skip right past that and keep going on with the prayer. But, but that phrase right there is key to this entire prayer. It's a request. We're asking God to hallow his name, that, that we would treat his name as holy, that we would value his name above all names, that we would treasure him, and that his name might be glorified all over the earth. Hallowed be thy name. It's the desire of our hearts as his children. You know, this is the reason why, why God saved you. In Psalm 106, it says this, Yet he saved them for his namesake, for his namesake, that he might make known his mighty power. Why did he save you? If you're a Christian today, he saved you for his namesake. It's not primarily about us. Yes, he loves us, but he aims to be glorified in saving us from rescuing us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That brings him great honor and glory. That is why we've been saved. And so we look at our lives here. What name matters most to you? I've, I've noticed in a small town, we can care a lot about our name and a lot about our reputation and very little about God's name and God's reputation. We want everybody to, to think highly of us. But do we know that we were made to make much of Jesus? That's why we are here, to make much of his name, not our name. And so these, these priests and God's people, they're despising the name of God. How? How are they doing that? God says, you are despising my name by what you give and how you give, both your actions and your attitudes. Take a look at verses 6 to 8 again with me. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? And so he's, he's addressing this Old Testament sacrificial system where God's people... Specifically, the, the priests were in charge of offering up a perfect sacrifice without blemish to atone for the sins of God's people. It was important that this sacrifice had, had no spot or no blemish to it 
to show how sinful we are and how holy God is and to point forward to Jesus who was our spotless lamb of God. And so we see here that that we're to bring God our, our, our best. Leviticus 22 makes the stipulation, you shall not offer anything that has a blemish for it will not be acceptable for you. To be accepted, it must be perfect. It must be perfect. So this is the, the first and the best we're to bring to God. And yet the Old Testament priests, they were bringing rotten food and sick and lame sheep. But they were assuming, hey God, you're, you're okay with that because at least I'm bringing you something. It's, it's better than nothing, right? They were withholding the first and the best. And giving God their leftovers. And God says, you wouldn't do that with anyone on a human level. Right? You, you wouldn't do that to your governor, verse 8 says, present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? So I, I'm just thinking, like, if we would invite Governor Reynolds out here, maybe, maybe the school board invites her out uh, for a special uh, luncheon, maybe to talk about a, a grant for the school, and, and so she comes out, and there's a, like a catered meal and everything, and everybody's sitting down for this meal, and, and then one person on the school board goes back to the, the fridge, gets out uh, this week-old hot dog, uh, brings it to her, along with some uh, strawberries that now have a little fuzz at the bottom of them, a little green on the bottom, um, and then also one of those little cartons of milk. It's been sitting out for a while, got some chunks in it by now. And, and here you go, Governor Reynolds. How is she going to respond to that? How does, how does God respond to us when, when we give him our leftovers? We wouldn't do that on a human level. You wouldn't get away with it. God says, have you forgotten who I am? So it's not just what we give, but it's also how we give. In verses 13 to 14, we see these actions came out of their attitudes. Their their rotten, lame sacrifice revealed their rotten, lame hearts. Verse 13 says, but you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices the Lord what is blemished. So he's he's exposing. It's not not just your actions here. This This is the heart. This is your heart. You say, what a weariness this is. Basically, this is this is so tiresome. And I'm just sick and tired of having to do all of this and follow all the stipulations and serve you in this way. It's just a weary kind of thing. And they're just whining, right? And sometimes we can whine as well. But not only that, they were actually going back on their commitments. Verse 14, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices the Lord what is blemished. And that that can happen in our lives as well. Sometimes we have said, hey, this is a commitment that I've made, whether whether to serve or to attend or or to to get up and and pray, and and, and we we have good intentions, and then something else comes onto our schedule, right? Something that is more important. And, And God's just not convenient with my busy schedule right now. 
So he gets put back in the back seat, kind of on the periphery of our lives. You know, if, if it makes sense this week, yeah, we'll fit you in. I might give you a couple minutes at the end of the day, maybe an hour on Sunday. And we, we end up just like these priests in Malachi's day. It's optional for us, not vital to us. Let me ask you this question. Think about it personally. What do you give your best to? What do you give your best to? These can be good things, by the way. Is it your job? Making money? Is it uh, your family? Sports and entertainment? What do you give your best to? And is God getting your leftovers? I brought with me something today. It's actually a piece of chicken. And uh, I borrowed this illustration from another pastor who actually ate the chicken while on stage, and I just didn't have the appetite for it. Maybe some of you who are hungry afterwards. Here's a drumstick for you. But he likened this to our finances or our time. Right, so just picture this as your finances, your time. And, and what we end up doing is this. We take bites out of what matters most to us. All right, and so this is our finances. All right? So I've got a mortgage payment. So I'm not going to take a bite, but take a bite out of that. I've got a car payment. You know, got to eat that. I've got, I've got to eat. got to eat out. So here's another bite out of that. I've got to have some, you know, some savings out of that. I got to have some uh, retirement, another bite out of that. We got to go to the weekend and enjoy that trip, bite out of that. Cable TV, another bite out of that. Right? On and on and on and on. Got to go to the movies, bite out of that. On and on and on. And by the end, we're, we're down to this, right? We've taken a lot of bites out of our finances, and here's what we do. Here you go, God. And that, that's what we give to him. And here, here's the deal. That seems really crazy that we would bite off all the things that are important to us and what we want and, and give him that little thing. But this is even crazier. We could actually think that God's up there like, oh, cool, that is great. <laughs> Look what you gave me. I think there might be just a little more meat on there, but thank you so much. And we think, this is God Almighty, and we can be like these priests who just kind of spend on ourselves, do what we want, and then we just give them a little bit left. You know, think of it as your, as your time. You know, where are you giving your time to? And is God just kind of getting the, the last bit of your schedule, what's convenient for you? When we think about this in our lives, how does God respond to that? He's our Father, and he's asking this question, where is my honor? Where is my honor? So three ways I see how he replies, he responds to our giving him these spiritual leftovers. In verse 8, says, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? So sometimes we think, well, yeah, I'm not giving him, him, you know, as much as I could, but I'm just giving him a little bit. Maybe God would think I'm cheap, but evil? You know, and I know I'm, 
I'm not as spiritually strong as some people, you know, and they're, they're probably giving more of their time or more of their resources and serving here, but, you know, I'm, I'm really, really busy, and I'm sure God just understands. But here in this text, it says, is this not evil? When we diminish God's value and we disregard his holiness in our lives and we just give him what's left over, God says, is that not evil? Secondly, in verse 10, he responds this way. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. So here, here's what he's saying to these priests. If you want to just give me a little something, if you want to just give me your leftovers, it's, it's better off that we just shut this thing down. If that's the attitude of your heart, let's just close the doors. Don't come to me with your pity. Don't, don't come to me with just this little offering. It doesn't cost you anything. Let's just shut it down. And guys, I don't know if this is true. There's thousands of things that God is doing throughout this pandemic, but I wonder if one of them was to get our attention, to wake us up and say, I'm going to shut this down for a little while so that you wouldn't take for granted what you have here to worship corporately with God's people and not to just think that that's just a, a given and, and we can just skip that and, and move on with the rest of our lives. God says, let's just shut it down if we're just going to go through the motions and be flippant about our worship. Thirdly, and I think most importantly, in verse 11 he says this, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. By the way, that means the rising of the sun to its setting. From the east to the west, everywhere is where he wants his name to be great. In every place, incense will be offered to my name in a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 14, second half. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. So this, this repetition over and over again, my name, my name, my name. I will be great, he says. I will be worshipped. Listen, God doesn't have to apologize for his greatness. It's, it's not like he's thinking, well, maybe I'm asking a little too much. He's God. He's God. He's great. He's a great king. And he will be worshipped all over this world. Do you want to be part of that? I mean, right now, all over this globe, there are people from every tongue, tribe, and nation who are hungry to worship God. Hungry to worship God, no matter what it looks like. And so we've got to realize that God aims to be worshipped as a great, great king. And what's our response to that then? Well, he tells the priests here in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And now, O priests, this command is for you. And so I'm, I'm first in line as one of the pastors here, but it's all of us here. Listen, he says in verse 2, If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces. This is God speaking. I will spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So we've got to listen. Listen to him as he's speaking to us this morning. Listen to him. 
and take this to heart. Take this seriously, what God is saying to us here. Because it doesn't even just affect you, it affects generations to come. Parents, what you value, what you're passionate about, your kids will see that. They will. Are you passionate about God and his name? They're watching you. We don't want to bring shame upon the name of God. And so as I close, I want to draw your attention to this text in Isaiah 48. I think this is the most God-centered text in the Bible, if there is one. Listen to what Isaiah says here. It's relevant to our lives. For my namesake, God says, for my namesake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I do it, for how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. So listen, six times the refrain is, for my own sake, for my namesake, for my glory, and for my praise. God aims to be glorified. He is zealous, passionate, radically committed to his name. In this text, it's interesting because the way he is glorifying his name is by restraining his anger and loving us now by refining us and trying us in the furnace of affliction. Know this, in your life, if you've gone through some struggles, if you've gone through some trials, it's perhaps the hand of God taking you through the furnace of affliction because he loves you and he's restraining his anger from you. But we look at a text like that and we think, so what happens to his anger then? If it doesn't come on me, where does it go? And we just keep reading in Isaiah, and five chapters later, here is where his anger goes. Isaiah 53 says, but he, this is Jesus, Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Guys, guys listen, we, we have all failed this God miserably, me included. We deserve the anger of God to strike us down now and to send us into eternity without mercy. And so we right now are the recipients of so much grace, you guys. Why? So that we would turn to Christ. He's our only hope. Listen, the only way that this anger is going to be diverted away from us is through Jesus and his death for us on the cross. That's what Christ came to do for us. And because that anger has been taken for us at the cross, Jesus now extends to us gentleness. This, this is absurd. This is amazing that he would love us this way. But not only is Jesus our perfect sacrifice that we needed, that was all these bad, polluted sacrifices these priests were giving, we needed a perfect one and we needed a perfect priest and in Hebrews 5, verse 2, it says this about Jesus. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. Aren't you glad? Because every one of us in this room, we are ignorant and wayward sheep. Ignorant. Sometimes we just sin, and we don't even know we're doing it. And sometimes we are wayward. We are doing it willfully. And Jesus says to you, I am gentle with you if you come to me as you are. You come to me. And I will not cast you out. I love you. 
And so, as we close, God is just telling us, asking us, where is my honor? Where is my honor? And if you today are in a place where you know, man, i got to repent of this. I, I know that I have been treating God's name, just diminishing it, just kind of despising it, not treating him with the honor he deserves. His son Jesus is right now offering you a new start, forgiveness of your sin. Maybe for the first time. You can just come to him honestly and say, I need forgiveness. I need to come to Jesus. I need to, to have him save me from my sin. And he'll do that. He's a gracious savior. So let's return to him today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your grace is greater than all of our sin. When we look at a passage like this. This is a hard one to swallow, God. We, we all admit to you that we, we often don't think of you and honor you. You've been so gracious, so good, so great as our king, and yet oftentimes we ignore you, or we just give to you a little of our lives, just, just the part that's comfortable for us, nothing that would cost us. Father, I pray that you would, you would flood our hearts this morning by your spirit, and you would draw us humbly to you. Father, we need your help even to move forward in in repentance and faith, and so break through right now into our hearts. And I pray that we would remember that you are a merciful, gracious, and gentle Savior. You are gentle with the ignorant and the wayward. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy. We pray in your name. Amen.